Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. And uh, I'm just going to go ahead and, and mute everybody. Obviously, you could go ahead and unmute yourselves at will um, to join or to chime in or to ask questions. Um, we mentioned in our previous share, we mentioned in our previous share, though, though the Torah doesn't explicitly command us uh, towards proper character traits, it does explicitly command us to follow in the ways of Hashem. And the Latin term for this is imitatio dei, which means imitating and approximating godliness in our own selves, being godly. And an idea that's generated directly from the fact that we have a piece of God in us. That piece of God is called the Tselem Elohim. It's our soul, it's what animates us, and it's what uh, we seek to return to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to, to not just during our lifetimes, but at the sum total of a lifetime, to return, to, back, to return our souls back to God in that pristine state in which it came. And this is the idea that each and every uh, individual, each and every human being, uh, that they are, their lives matter, and that they are created in the image of God. So the question is, where does this command to emulate God come from? Now, in Sefer Devarim, um, and we're going to see these psukim in a moment, as I mentioned, I wanted to, especially when talking about something like Midot, where you could get into uh, somewhat amorphous uh, discussions, I want to stay as close as possible to text. So where does the command to emulate God come from? Now, in Sefer Dvarim, we find several places where God explicitly commands us to act like him, together with some other commandments that seem to outline for us at least what might seem to be the ideal religious mindset. And to the extent that someone is able to say this um, as a unit, these psukim, uh, which appear in various places throughout Sefer Dvarim, uh, are, this, are together some of the most important verses in the entire Torah. So I'm, I'm going to share my screen with you guys, and I'll show you exactly what I'm talking about. So here we are. And, uh, and, this, and, and these are, are, are placed in sequential order, right? This is, we start with Devarim Perak Yud, then cha- chapter 10, chapter 11, all the way up to chapter uh, 28, really towards the end of the Torah. So the first Pasuk that we encounter says, and what does Hashem ask from you, Jewish people? To fear God, to go in all of God's ways. So this is, uh, this is the first opening salvo in a commandment which would seem to outline what our religious mindset, our spiritual mindset should be. To fear God and to follow in all of God's ways. And then later on, we find a, a, a restatement of this, uh, just a chapter later in Sefer Dvarim says, Ki im shamor kola Keep this mitzvah. It doesn't even explicate in that Pasuk exactly what the mitzvah is. Uh, presumably, it's going to be the one of fearing God and lalechet b'chol and following in God's ways. So over here we find another element that's added into the mix. It's not just fear, but love as well. Love of God. So we're starting to go into other emotions, into other kinds of mindset of a religious individual when they serve God. And then it, it goes to an even higher level. It says, once you're following in the path of God, and, and God is the one that you're fearing, that's mitzvah, and you're keeping God's mitzvah, listening to the voice of God, 
And you should, and this is the first time that we find uh, in the plural, uh, this is actually phrased not just to individuals, but to the entire nation. Over here, Lidav Gabo is phrased in the singular to the individual. And then finally, and I think the sum total of all these verses, the, the, what all these four verses bring together, says the goal. Yikim Hashem lo la'am kodesh. If you do all this, you will be a holy nation. That we should keep in Hashem's ways and we should follow, we should follow in Hashem's ways. So this would seem to be the, the Torah's phrasing of, of what is the ideal religious mindset. Now, you have to keep in mind that it is very rare for the Torah to command us towards any emotion. Right? The Torah tells us external things that we need to do, and we're used to hearing uh, the common refrain that the Torah is not necessarily concerned, at least at, the fir- at least at first glance, not necessarily concerned with what's going on in our heads as we do it. Shake the lulav, because God said to. Sit in the sukkah, because God said to. You could already tell what my favorite holiday is uh, throughout the year. Um, it, it, wear tefillin. Light Shabbos candles. Ki- uh, don't... Don't, don't do malacha on Shabbos. All of these things are actions. And, and, and our commandments in the Torah are generally oriented toward action. And it's very rare, like we said, for the Torah to command us toward emotions. For example, when jealousy is prohibited as one of the Ten Commandments, commentators wrestle at length with how to understand such a seemingly impossible thing. How could you tell me not to be jealous? That's an emotion. That's something in my head. And, and in fact, I would say um, it's, it's, it's even harder to ignore once you command me. When you say, don't think about this, that's going to be like all I think about. Right? How can one fully control their inner thoughts and feelings? And um, one of the commentators who most famously interprets the jealousy problem, which we'll get to in a moment, adds the following understanding of the trajectory of all of the above commandments regarding these emotions, such as love, fear, desire, action. I mean, that's, that's really what we're being commanded on, and that is the Ibn Ezra. Now, I mentioned that the Ibn Ezra uh, solves the jealousy problem. And, uh, this is one of the things that when you learn the Aserat Adibrod in school, they tell you what the Ibn Ezra's comment on jealousy is, you know, at first blush, we would say, how could I... How could I be commanded not to be jealous? It's a very natural thing. I look around, I see people, I see the greener grass on the other side of the fence and I'm jealous of it and I want it. And I see the person uh, with, with what seems at least to be the better life and I'm jealous of them. And uh, the Ibn Ezra famously resolves that by, by, by going deep into the inner life and saying, actually, it's not quite so. For example, nobody's going to have to command you to not covet the, the queen is the example that the Ibn Ezra uses, because you know that it's out of the realm of possibility. So what the Ibn Ezra prescribes, or says what the Torah's prescription for the jealousy problem is that we actually can regulate our emotions. We actually can bring ourselves through, through logic, through understanding, through wisdom, uh, through intellectual processes, to be able to say, actually, this is not something I need to be jealous of because it's out of the realm of possibility. The Ibn Ezra says that that same that same training can apply in all areas of life to the point that we can be individuals that, 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 that have no jealousy, that are not consumed by that. And when the Ibn Ezra comments on all of these, uh, on these series of psukim over here, and what is, he, he focuses on the end, what does it mean to be an Am Kodesh? So the Ibn Ezra says, The Kedusha that we're talking about, the holiness, 
And the sanctity that we're talking about over here is that we're consecrated with the keeping of the mitzvot. In a sense, it would seem that by keeping the mitzvot and by having a lifetime of fulfilling mitzvot, that through that we'll be able to cultivate all of these emotions. This kind of inner life, starting with yira, moving to ahava, to finally cleave and to attach ourselves to God. By doing all these things, in a life of mitzvot, they become more natural. By performing the mitzvah of lulav enough, by davening enough, by saying shema enough, by, by fulfilling as many of the mitzvot as we can. So by doing that, that makes us into holy individuals as part of a holy nation. So the mitzvot in these emotions, the mitzvot could be looked at as almost a training program uh, for continued cultivation of these mitzvot, of this mindset. And ultimately, we're going to see that, that this, is what, this is what brings us to a, a place of, of, of midos as well. That ideally, when the mitzvot are kept well, that brings us to the place that our midos are going to be kept well uh, in, in, in a perfect, in a godly place, imitating God uh, the same way that we can control our jealousy in the eyes of the Ibn Ezra. And the goal is to be a holy person as part of a holy people. That's, uh, it's very difficult to say exactly what the Torah, what, what does God want from us? So what does God want for you just to be in awe and to, and to fear God? Uh, the most natural and basic religious impulse is, I think, fear. What do I mean? Which we call yira. Now, you'll hear plenty of rabbis and educators that will tell you that the yira over here is not fear in this degraded sense, um, a kind of terror, perhaps, but that it's, it's, more, it's, more, it's more readily understood as a kind of awe. Uh, and, and that's elegant, and, and, I, and I like what that does because, because fear is, is a lowly emotion. We should not, should not fear anything. Right? We have lo yira ra madi. We say unto him, I will not, I shall fear no evil because the Lord is with me. Fear is a kind of lowly thing. We shouldn't be in fear. But I think when we're honest, and I think that when, when, we, when we talk about what, what keeps us, what, what helps us abstain from sin, what helps us push away our more base instincts, uh, a lot of times I think what it is, is that it's fear. We want to keep the mitzvot because I think at a very basic level, uh, we have a fear of meaninglessness. We have a fear of the void, of what happens to a life that's not lived with meaning, what happens to a life that's not lived with a guide, that's not lived with a code. Uh, and, and from a very young age, for those of us that were brought up with religious educations, God is something indeed to be feared. Not that we're going to be struck down by lightning, but I'll, I'll confess that at times my own relationship with God is one uh, that is, I would say the best word to use is fear. Yira as a kind of fear. If I mess up, if I, if I and I know, I know intuitively and I know intellectually that it doesn't work like this, but if I mess up on something, if I give in, and if I don't do things that are expected of me from the Torah, that things that I want and things that I'm looking for in life are not going to happen. And it's not quite that simple. It's not the scales that we, could, uh, that we may have had ingrained in us from a very early age, but it is the most basic religious impulse. I think it's the thing that, that brings us into religion in the first place. Um, in a broad anthropological sense, people are in fear of the unknown, in fear of the void, in fear of meaninglessness, and even idolatry, to, to distinguish a thousand times, even idolatry, you know, you could say 
came, I have to worship uh, the sun and the moon and the stars because I need my crops to grow, because I need to sustain myself. And, and this religious impulse is, I think, universal, but the Torah wants us to move past it. And, and that's why you usually find yira um, translated as a kind of awe, as yirat haromimut, an awe. And when you truly think about what God is and what we know of God as the all-encompassing, as, as, as the end-all be-all, as complete, absolute unity, there is a kind of awe to that. But that's far, di- far more difficult to arrive at. So why this fear of emotion uh, more than the others is the first step over here, I think is really a discussion for another time perhaps, but in any event, it's the first of these emotional, inner life-based commandments that run through Sefer Devarim. An appropriately attuned spiritual person who has perhaps released a little bit of their firm grip on the material world, so they might graduate at times of turning that fear into awe. And, and then they could turn that awe into something like love, into ahava. And that's the next step on this chain. Because when you are in ahava, when you love somebody, so in this case, your creator, et Hashem, then you're no longer just willing, but happy, lalechet b'chol drachav, to go along their path. I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. Think about... Um, Think about, for example, you know, the way that love is uh, depicted in, you know, epic literature is that uh, the lover will follow, will follow their beloved to the ends of the earth. They'll, they'll go through fire and water to be together with their beloved. And in, in, a, in a spiritual sense, that's, that's the next step on the chain. Once, we're, once we, we fear, the fear turns into an awe, turns into a love which turns into a desire to, to, to follow in their paths. And then the Torah's path begins by loving so much, by loving God so much, so as to imitate God's ways. To go in all the ways of God. And in a moment, we're going to explain what those ways are, right? We've left that a little bit, uh, we've left that a little bit undefined, right? What is this drachav? What are the ways of God that we have to go to? When you emulate someone enough, so you might eventually become a reflection of them, wholly attached to them in every way. And that is the commandment, ulidav kabo. Lidav kabo means to attach oneself, to cleave to God. Uh, cleaving is a strange word, right? That's the English word that we use. Uh, of course, we talk many times about how impoverished uh, the English language is sometimes for translating concepts in the Torah and what is lost when we translate things and how important it is. I mean, this is why we have the text in both Hebrew and English and why I spend the time, why we spend the time reading it in Hebrew first, because a lot of the sense and a lot of what we're trying to transmit, for example, translating Yira as fear uh, actually buries itself deep in our consciousness and becomes the way in which these ideas in Hebrew are, are colored for the rest of our lives. And it's very hard work to, to sort of detach ourselves from that initial, for that girsa the ankusa, from that initial learning that we have translating these words. The davkabo means to cleave. Cleave is a fascinating word. It's a contronym uh, or an autoantonym. It means itself and the opposite. So in this way, it's kind of good because you can never attach yourself to God completely as a human being. And yet we, so we're cleaved, we're separated from God but we also want to attach ourselves. It's a constant process of moving towards God uh, to try to cleave in the sense of to come together. So when you become a reflection of an individual, and that's what we're commanded to do, to be an Am Kodesh, a holy nation, that in all of our ways, people can look at us and they could say, these people are the image of God. That when you look at, Rabbi Heschel talks a lot 
about looking into another person's face. Levinas talks about this in his own philosophy, looking into the face of a stranger or another human being and seeing a reflection, uh, not just of a life that's lived and all the experiences that they have, but a reflection of God. So a nation filled with these kinds of individuals, or at the very least those who strive to be like this, can be said to be set apart in every meaningful way from the ordinary and often dark ways of this world. We are an Am Kodesh. We are a holy, an Am Kodesh, a holy nation. As the way in which that holiness is expressed and brought to the fore each day rests upon a solid foundation of all of these previous steps, but it's actualized through the performance of the commandments as the Ibn Ezra teaches us. We become the proper vessels through which godliness is expressed in this world. So whether it's by tithing our crops or by keeping Shabbos or any mitzvah from the Tariyag mitzvos, we show how deeply attached to God we are. We're following in God's commandments. We're doing, right? in, a, in a sense, it's I love somebody so much that if we're both sitting on the couch and uh, you know, doing nothing and the person I love says, hey, honey, can you go get me a drink? So you say, no problem. You don't even think, is this fair, right? Maybe I should be the one getting a drink or come on, I'm buried so deep into the cat. I want to do the will of the beloved. I want to, because that brings me closer to them. The more that I fulfill the will of the beloved, the more I express my love for them and I'll go to the ends of the earth for them. And that's the way, that's the way in which we express our love. That is an example. That is a dogma, a metaphor for the mitzvot that we perform every single day. And this is what separates us as a nation from everybody else and is the primary, I think, the primary manifestation of, of what we mean when we say the election of Israel, uh, when we say our chosenness, that added responsibility and that added emotional drive to, to progress from fear to awe to love to a desire to be a reflection of the beloved by fulfilling their demands and their commands, that's the manifestation of our chosenness. Now, elsewhere, Ibn Ezra himself bolsters the idea that what we're reading in these verses are actually steps in a gradual process. And this process, by the way, doesn't happen all at once. Even though these are just four psukim from Moshe Rabbeinu's final speech and exhortation to the Jewish people in Sefer Devarim, it's a, prog- it's a progression that involves many steps. I can move from fear to love and then back to fear. And then maybe I could jump over to reach a place of awe. Maybe I'll have a time of awe at different points in my life. But this is a lifelong process. A lifelong process of a Jew who's spiritually attuned is constantly working through these stages, through this sulam, climbing up this ladder to eventually reach a place. And it can happen at times of devekos of complete attachment to God, of complete separation from the ways of, of this world and, uh, and the things in this world that do drag us down, the pain, the, the hatred, the loneliness, the sadness, the depression, all of the bad emotions that separate us from God, we could actually, we have a prescriptive process for transcending that. So elsewhere, like we said, the Ibn Ezra bolsters the idea that what we're reading in these verses are actually steps in this gradual process. The Ibn Ezra cryptically adds to the words, Uledav Gabo, he adds one word to them. The one word that Ibn Ezra adds is Basof, at the end. And I take that to mean that through the love of Hashem and through walking in God's ways, a person will arrive at a level of attachment that could never be severed. And as a nation, we already have a promise that that attachment as a nation will never be severed. We call that a covenant. We call that a Brit. And a Brit means that because we attained that attachment once, 
So that residue from being attached once that was at Matan Torah, at Har Sinai, by receiving revelation, so that can never, ever be severed. Jewish people will never be severed from their attachment to God, no matter how far we go from God's ways. Destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, diaspora, exile, all of this stuff can never sever that attachment, that connection, once it had been established at Har Sinai. And this level of Devekut is a great secret, I think, because through it, the Ibn Ezra writes, a person attains the loftiest possible levels. Now, uh, the, actually, that final comment comes from Ibn Kaspi, uh, Rabbi Yosef Ibn Kaspi, who is a commentator on the Ibn Ezra. And the reason is because the Ibn Ezra writes at the end, Ledav Kabo, Basof, and then the Ibn Ezra adds, Vizesod Gadol. The Ibn Ezra does this several times throughout his commentary. This is a great secret. And there's a whole host of Ibn Ezra super commentaries that try and expound upon every time that the Ibn Ezra says that this is a secret. A lot of scholars and academics like to jump on these and uh, argue that perhaps the Ibn Ezra is hiding certain esoteric, uh, non-traditional views, and it's a whole exciting realm of scholarship to go into. But Ibn Kaspi says that Basof over here, and this is again a translation, he says, through the love of Hashem and through walking in Hashem's ways, a person arrives at a level of attachment that can never be severed. This is what we said, and this level of Devekut is a great secret because through it, we can rise to the loftiest possible levels. We can go to the point where perhaps we might even be able to obtain a sense of Ruach HaKadosh. The more we're connected to God, the more we're thinking God's thoughts. You know, we read this Shabbos in Pirkei Avos, in the second chapter of Pirkei Avos, the statement of that you should make your will like Hashem's will. And then it says the next level is to nullify your will before Hashem's, uh, before Hashem's. Now those are two different things. The Ratzon is the desire to make my thoughts and the things that I want in this world to be the things that God wants for me. I want to watch TV right now. God wants me to daven. I want to eat right now. God says, no, you make a bracha before that. And we might fail at this a lot of times because of inertia, because of laziness, because we're not feeling well, because, of, uh, because uh, we need a break. <laughs> because of any other, because of any host of reasons, we might fail to pay attention to this, but at least we want to, or we want to want to, right? We're at some level of rutzon, of desire. There's a higher level that once I've desired enough and I've made enough choices to follow, uh, I won't watch this and I won't go to the couch and I won't, uh, I won't uh, shirk my obligation in one place or another. So once I've done enough of that work, so I could rise to a place where, where my own will, my own drives are nullified to the drive of God. And when you do that, so the, the reward, that's its own reward. The reward is, is that I'll never, be, I'll never be dissatisfied with anything in my entire lifetime because I have no will. Now, this is a super lofty, rarefied level. But this is something that we assume that our tzaddikim were able to attain that they were able to rise to the place, to rise to a level where they had no will, where their desire and their, their, their own personal interests were completely aligned with the interests of God. And the reward for that is that not only am I not going to be disappointed ever, but I'm also going to be a, a living embodiment, kivyachol, of God's will in this world. And that's what we mean when we talk about a tzaddik. Now, 
I, I keep on mentioning, you know, the ways of God and, and what does it mean? How does, that, uh, how does that manifest? What exactly is it? So the Talmud expounds upon these incredible verses that we just read by explaining the most difficult to understand steps, which are emulating and thereby attaching ourselves to God. So let's take a look, for example, at the Gemara uh, in Sota, Mesechet Sota, which, by the way, uh, there's a custom. The, the Gemara of Sota is 49 folios, and there's 49 days of Sfirata Omer, and uh, it is a custom, Minag uh, Yisrael, to finish, or to endeavor to finish, um, all of Mesechet Sota during the time of Sfirata Omer. So this comes, this is a selection from Mesechet Sota. Amar Rabbi Chama Rabbi Chanina. Rabbi Chama, the son of Rabbi Chanina, says, What's the meaning of the verse that says, That you should go after the ways of Hashem. Can a person really follow after the divine presence in this world? It's an intangible thing. And furthermore, It says elsewhere, earlier in Sefer Devarim, Hashem is an all-consuming, devouring fire, a jealous God, and we cannot approach fire. And there's, there's different versions of this, right? How can, in the Medrash, it says, how can we attach ourselves to God? God will burn us up. And certainly we, uh, we're well aware, we just uh, read a few weeks ago the story of Nadav and Avihu, it's going to be next week's partial, also, Acharei Mot Shnei Bnei Aaron, that uh, there is a possibility of coming too close and getting burnt. And uh, we may have heard stories of individuals who, who toss themselves headlong into the religious and spiritual world, perhaps without proper preparation. Uh, and, and there's a certain loss of self, that a person loses their moorings, that there's uh, perhaps even, uh, there's, um, even like uh, you know, the Gemara with the four who entered into the Pardes, uh, the chance of insanity, of dissociation, of losing who I am, of becoming burnt up. So how can you actually be commanded to follow so closely to God? God is also described as an all-consuming, devouring fire. That's the question that the Gemara asks. So the Gemara explains, what do we really mean when we say to follow in Hashem's path? We have to follow after the attributes. We don't know what God really is, because God is, not of, is beyond, our, beyond the ken of our comprehension. But we do know how God manifests in the world, right? We were talking about the concept of Sfirot last week. We do have an understanding. We do have a sense of appreciation for what God's character traits are. I know that we do because we say the Yud Gimel Midot HaRachamim when we engage in Tshuva and we ask God for, uh, for penance. We say, Hashem Hashem Kel Rachum Right? We talk about God in merciful, compassionate, just Lord who does judgment with the whole universe. So we say, following the midos, the expressions, the attributes of God is what we're talking about here. Mahu mal bisharumim, just as God gave us clothes to wear and provided for us and for the sum total of the world and gave them clothes, tichsiv, or in the most narrow sense, tichsiv, vayas Hashem elokim la'adam kutnot or vayal bishem, that God creates, yitzir kapav, the creation of Adam, of, of God's own hands, kiviachol. Adam and Chava, the Torah tells us that God enclosed them, garbed them. So, afatahal bisharumim. How do we follow in that trait? So, when we see people that need, when we see, you know, that uh, 
when they, in the winter they have that uh, New York City coat drive. You guys know which one I'm talking about? And they have that billboard and it's like a cartoon Statue of Liberty huddled over and shivering. So it's our job to do coat drives. It's our job to ensure that people are properly sheltered and, 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 and cared for and protected from the elements. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Bikercholi. We see that when the Torah describes a midah of Hashem, there's an episode where God visits the sick. Dichtiv, vayari lav Hashem be'elo mamre. God appeared to Abraham in the terebinths, or the plains of Mamre. Afataba kercholim. So too we should care for the sick and for the people that need our help in their time of distress. We should copy Hashem and we should follow in that midah, in that trait. HaKadosh Baruch nichem avelim. God comforted mourners, people who had undergone loss. After the death of Avraham, God consoled and blessed Yitzchak, his son. So to you should emulate that mida of nicham avelim, of consoling mourners, and you should go to the house of mourners and you should comfort them as well. HaKadosh Baruch Hu kavar God engaged in burial. God buried Moshe Rabbeinu in the valley. So too we should emulate that trait. When the Torah deigns to describe to us a particular pi'ula, a particular, a particular action that God did, it's not always that God is ish milchama, the God of war and conquering the land of Canaan and driving out its inhabitants but that we see God in these intimate moments with his beloved, that God visits the sick, that God is mal bisharum and clothes the naked, that God is menachem avelim, consoles those who have undergone loss, or that God is kover meitim, and that God buries the dead. So we should engage in these acts as well. Afatak for meitim. So to you should bury the dead as well. So this is, this is what we mean in a very basic sense. It's not so basic, but in a, very, in a very strict sense, this is what we mean from what we're talking about when we see emulating and following in God's ways. From these psukim, we see the point of connection between the individual mitzvot, like Bikr Cholim, like Kvura, Chesed Shel Emet, like Nichem Avelim, like Mal Bisharumim, that doing these individual mitzvot and the underlying theme present in all mitzvot is for us to replicate God's actions. So why do we need to replicate God's actions? And how does this help us live a meaningful life besides just doing these nice things? So I want to turn in a moment to the Sefer HaChinuch. And there was a, um, a whole literature of Monei HaMitzvot, of people that counted up all 613 mitzvot. It's actually based on the Gemara that says that there's 613 mitzvot. So there's a whole slew of commentators and... Um, many Rishonim, who endeavored to give us a comprehensive list of what the biblical commandments are and which ones are not included in the list of biblical commandments. Maybe it was a mitzvah that was only commanded for one time. For example, like carrying the galim, uh, flags in the desert. We don't have a mitzvah to walk around in the desert carrying our tribe's flags anymore. That was a one time. That was a mitzvah l'shah, but mitzvah l'dorot. So we have commentaries, not commentaries, we have safrut uh, monea mitzvot, the literature of the mitzvah counters. And many people try to do this. There's arguments back and forth. It's a really fascinating area of Limud. What counts, what doesn't count. The Rambam famously has a Sefer mitzvot, and the Ramban famously comments in his, 
in his uh, Shorashim to tell us, and uh, his Asago to tell us where exactly he feels that Maimonides went wrong in his count and which things should be included, which things shouldn't, which are really two mitzvot, which are not. So one of the most well-known of the Moneha mitzvot is called the Sefer HaChinuch. The Sefer HaChinuch, the book of education, it's written as, as a, a father teaching his son about the mitzvot and it's, it's ripe with uh, meanings and, uh, and, and purposes behind the different mitzvot. The Sefer HaChinuch endeavors to give us this list of all 613 commandments together with prefatory re- remarks explaining about the mitzvah's meaning, basically. And in the 611th commandment, we find an expansion on the drasha presented by the Talmud above that adds depth and meaning to the commandment of imitating God's ways and there, thereupon attaining devekut. And the anonymous author, we don't, there, people surmise, they think they know who the author is. The anonymous author of the Sefer HaChinuch uh, relies upon a parallel midrash to the excerpt from the Talmud uh, that we saw above, and this is going to be our penultimate source tonight. It says, Mitzvah lalechet v'lidamot b'dark Yashem yitbarach. The 611th mitzvah of the Torah is to walk in the path of God, to follow in the ways of God, to stay on the derech, and lihidamot, to imitate and to make ourselves a demut, b'tselem demutav mito, a reflection of the ways of Hashem in this world. Of course, we have the mitzvot, but maybe more important, but at the very least in parallel to fulfillment of the mitzvot, is to do everything that we do to be honest and upright and good as much as we possibly can in everything we do. The sum total of all these psukim, the sum total of this Gemara that we just read is teaching us that we have to lahatot, we have to try, we have natural inclinations towards so many ugly things, towards cruelty, towards competition, towards violence, towards arrogance, all of these things we have to try as much as possible to bend the curve lahatot, all of, our in, all of our endeavors and all the things that we're engaged in this world between us and other people, in a way that reflects mercy and loving kindness. And we know this from our Torah. This is the way of Hashem. This is what God wanted from his creations. This was the 26 generations of Derech Eretz. Many of the examples that we gave before, Mal B'Sharumim, Nichem Avelim, all that, lots of that stuff came before the Torah was actually given. This is what Hashem wants from us, to be good people. Laman Yizku L'Tuvo Ki Chafetz Chesed So that in, through this, in, in, in order to receive God's goodness, we should, we should display magnanimity and goodness in all of our dealings as well. And God will, 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 will repay that in turn. Our recompenses that God deals with us, hopefully, in this way, in these manners also. God desires a world. God doesn't want the world that we see. God doesn't want the world that we've done, uh, uh, that we've done uh, great efforts, humanity writ large, uh, to make into a place that uh, seems to have all but banished God. God wants a world of chesed. Olam chesed yibaneh. 
The world is built upon chesed. That's the meaning of the final pasuk that we saw and you should follow in God's ways. It's repeated again in another place. As it is is written, to go in all of God's paths. And he finishes the opening part of this 611th mitzvah and says like this, and now he quotes the Medrash and maybe a far more famous iteration of this emulation of God. What does that look like? The rabbis themselves explained this mitzvah and said the following. If you came to anything tonight, if you came to the shir for anything and you walk away with anything, it should be this statement of the rabbis. Just as we call God Racham, Hashem Hashem Keler Chapayim, we refer to that. Hashem Hashem Kel Racham V'chanun. When we refer to God in that way, Afata Heirachum. So too you should be merciful. Mahakadosh Baruch Hu Nikra Chanun. Just as God is called compassionate, Afata Chanun. So too you should be compassionate. Mahakadosh Baruch Hu Nikra Tzadik. We call God. Sadik, righteous in all of his ways, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. All of us should be tzaddikim. There's a medrash that says that whenever any soul comes down to the world, the angel, after it's finished teaching that soul, all the Torah, all of us, it says, it, it, it forswears us, it binds us by an oath. Be a tzaddik, don't be wicked, don't be an ishmashchis, don't be a destroyer, be a builder. And just as God is called holy, so too you should be holy. This comes from the Sifri, Parshat Ekev. Va'inyan kulu lomar, all of this is to say, Shenilman nafshenu lalechet pepeulo tovot ke'elu, Umidot nechbadot asher yusuper behem yitbarach, Adarach mashalomar, Shemitnaheg v'midot tovot elu embriota. The whole matter is to say that we should teach ourselves through a lifetime, through mitzvah, through training, through constant meditation and mindfulness of our actions and our dealings with others to follow these good actions and these glorious traits that Hashem is described by way of analogy to say that Hashem acts with goodness towards us, towards His creation as well. That's what we mean when we have the commandment to go in all of God's ways. They're laid out in the clearest possible way. We'll finish tonight uh, with the final source. And then I'll share my screen again. Finish tonight with the final source, which comes from one of of my most, the most beloved Sfarim that I have, the most beloved Sadiqim that I've ever learned about, which is the Rebbe of Kamarna. Uh, The Rebbe of Kamarna, uh, Rabbi Yitzchak Isaac Yehuda Yechiel Halevi Safran, he had many names, uh, who was a Hasidic Rebbe in the 19th century. So he has a very deeply Kabbalistic commentary on the Torah called Heichel Habrach, extraordinarily complex and extraordinarily difficult, but interspersed through the abstruse Lurianic concepts that he talks about, Kabbalistic concepts, you find these lines that come from somebody that you imagine and you know has done everything that's listed in, this, in, in, in the fulfillment of this mitzvah of and a person who is engaged in constant attachment and constant cleaving towards God. You find lines like this and you can form a whole hashkafa, you can form a whole religious outlook on it. 
And you couldn't say such a definitive thing unless you knew all the Torah like the Kamarna Rebbe did. And he writes the following, and we'll end with this tonight. Take this home with you. I want to print this out and hang it on one of my walls. Ki ikar kol ha-mitzvot. The main thing with all of the mitzvot. Na'asina yidei raku talif. Is done through a softness of heart. Vitikuna mitot. And a rectification of our character traits. The constant struggle to be all those things that we've talked about. To be rachum. To be chanun. To be patient. To, be, to have erech apayim to have all of these character traits, litain staka, to give charity, to truma maestros, to tithe, ulirachem alakol. I put it like this because it reads like poetry, but it's pure spiritual flow when the Rebbe writes it. Umikol shekein, to have mercy on everybody. Umikol shekein al nafsho, and primarily, even more so, to have mercy on yourself. Shelo mashchit, don't allow yourself to fall into destructive miserable path of life that, that, that throws scorn, that heaps scorn on everything in this world and is destructive and, and, and consuming for yourself. Or Torah. What's the light of Torah? That the Jewish people, the nation that accepted this Torah should accept upon themselves good character. An honest character. Which is Talmudic parlance for don't be two-faced. Don't be duplicitous. Don't pretend that you have all this Torah and all this learning and all these good things, but that really you're a chazer. Really you're a pig because you don't treat people kindly. Because you don't know how to say please and thank you. Because you don't know not to touch other people's money. Because you don't know what it means to pick up a phone and call somebody that's in stress. Or what it means to be a good listener. What it means to not think constantly about yourself. What it means to... Put myself out there and to do chesed. Don't be a nezem zav bav chazir. Don't be a golden ring in the nose and the snout of a pig. And that's what the Kamarna's strong imagery here is descriptive of a person who learns a lot of Torah, who may perform a lot of mitzvot, but really is only a lamdam nisafo lechutz. But that Torah is only external because that Torah hasn't gone into them. It hasn't gone into their kishkas and defined who they are. Because when Torah defines who you are, when Torah is something that becomes part of your essence, part of your being, when you perform the mitzvahs that we described, whether it's lulav, whether it's Shabbos, whether it's giving tzedakah, or whether it's burying the dead, or whether it's nicham avelim or bikacholim, if we really truly allow the Torah and its message to seep into our bones and to seep into who we are, to go directly into our soul, it's impossible to be the kind of individual that the Kamarna Rebbe, that the Rebbe is describing. It's impossible because the mitzvah done properly and with kavana lead us to a place where we truly become godly in ourselves. And that's the goal of the Torah. And that's the goal of the mitzvot. And what we're going to do in the continuing shirim is we're going to see how this concept crops up almost everywhere. That this, uh, even in the deepest realms of Bein Adam Lamakum, even in the deepest worlds of, of serving our Creator, we find within that Bein Adam Lechavir. We find that placing other people and having these character traits, these godly character traits, come first and foremost. So that will be all for tonight.